Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two two O's. See? We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. From behind a bamboo curtain actually made from recycled six-pack rings of slurm in the Area 51 portable snack bar, it's clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 375, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with added polyhedrons, I'm your host, The Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, some of the gang is here. They are Taciturn Technical Trouble Wrangler, Kriana. You won't even make the noise for me tonight. Okay, fine. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Kriana. This week's guest is Drew Hayes. Uh, Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's a funny thing. Um, I am a huge fan of one of your uh, series of books. It is the series of uh, Fred the Vampire Accountant. That That's a fun one. Um. And he, here's 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 how we got started with this. Um, I was in a secondhand bookstore, and I came across uh, the utterly uninteresting and unadventurous tales of Fred the Vampire Accountant, and literally read the book in an afternoon. Uh, not because it's short, and not because it's it's not there's not a lot of stuff there, but because it was so much fun to read uh and then i said to myself guys there are there there more of these and it turns out that there were three others and i've kind of eaten my way through all four of those and then got the audiobooks which are in fact even more fun than than the uh than the paperback books themselves um for those of you who are not fans of Fred the Vampire Account, you need to be, uh, for a number of reasons. The biggest reason being that the main character is not a vampire you've ever seen or read about before. Can you kind of give the listeners kind of an overview about what this is about? Sure. I, uh, I guess thematically, I always like to say that Fred is a asking the question, what if changing what you are doesn't change who you are? Um, so Fred sort of is a satire of modern urban fantasy in that a lot of urban fantasy, uh, at least when I started this a few years ago, was following a very predictable plot line in that protagonist is bad at life, 
protagonist becomes supernatural. Protagonist resists it initially, embraces it, becomes the baddest mofo east of the Rio Grande. Everybody's happy. And I saw that exact same thing play out over and over again to the point where I was like, well, what if they just didn't? Um, and that's sort of what anchors Fred. The story of Fred is the story of a man who's bad with people, good with numbers, um, kind of cowardly, kind of socially anxious, but, you know, still trying his best to be a decent person and becomes a vampire. And now he's cowardly and socially anxious and better with numbers than people, but also a vampire. And vampire is probably the part of uh, Fred's life that he cares the least about. But <laughs> because he is in this supernatural world and there are expectations of others of what vampires should be, he frequently ends up in ends up in situations where people are expecting him to be vampire cool and Fred is just dearly trying to escape with his life. And, and in putting this character together, you've also created this kind of shadow universe, shadow history of, of the world and, and actually of the United States where para, para-humans, paranormals actually worked towards the formation of the United States, have a codified government within the United States and have codified laws that are uh, hidden in plain sight as rules to a very weird D&D game that nobody really plays. That is all pretty spot on. That was part of the fun of doing Fred was trying to come up with fun reasons of, you know, why does this world function? How does this world function? If, you know, if there were the formation of a new country all of a sudden, would people want to put a stake in it? Um, it, You know, it's sort of branched back from thinking about what the origins of the new world were. A lot of people sailing here, like looking for riches and fortune and freedom. And I thought, well, why not we throw some parahumans into that too? And it kind of snowballed from there. But it's, it's the kind of thing where, in all of this urban fantasy uh, and, and paranormal fantasy that's going on, nobody ever bothers with backstory. How does this exist here? Why does it exist here? How do they coexist? You know, because it's always this this kind of sandpaperish. You know, we fight them, they fight us, and we and somehow the normals pretend it doesn't exist. But you actually took the time to put this world together. And make it work within the larger context of, here's the normal world, here's the paranormal world, here's how it works. And as as the books move forward into in the second, third, and fourth volume, uh, the paranormal world becomes more complex and yet more intertwined with the normal world. And it's, uh, I got to tell you, it's so much fun to read because you don't catch yourself tripping on, wait, that can't happen, or wait, this makes sense because that did happen. And it's just a lot of fun. Well, thanks, man. I'm glad to hear it. I try really hard for continuity, and I love digging into world building and creating. I One of my uh, uh, faster sayings at a trade show table is I like to try and find the mundane within the magical. And, uh, you know, so if I can write a scene about a superhero arguing about buying carrots at the supermarket, I will. Because to me, I find that a lot funnier. And so that was part of the fun of Fred was getting to dig into minutia and detail and, you know, spot places where you could erect this parallel world and it would be supported within the natural framework of our own sort of disinterest. (laughs) And again, I'm going to apologize 
because I don't know a lot of your other work. And and a mute uh, and a friend of mine who knows almost all of your stuff says you've got to read Superpowered, so you've got to get into that. And I went, I don't have the time. He's on next week. <laughs> you really did not have the time. <laughs> that series is so large. Like yeah, I checked it. I know. <laughs> I think book three is somewhere around 30, 30 something hours and book four when released is going to be 59 ish is what uh, my narrator is guessing. Wow. So the one thing that uh, the complaint that some people had in in the Fred series was, well, it's just a bunch of short stories you put together in a book. And I went, yeah, what's your point? (laughs) There's There's a great sense of continuity there. But how did that happen? How did they start out as short stories and then become that kind of contiguous novel that you did put together? So the first Fred's short story was just that. It was a a short story that I wrote, um, like the very first one from the very first book, which sort of kicks off the series because he goes to his high school reunion and ends up getting dragged into more of a paranormal world. Um, I wrote that. And then, you know, originally it was just I was working on short stories. This was much, much earlier in my career. And I just remembered sitting down and I finished that one and I thought, wow, I could do a lot more of Fred. I liked writing this. Um, And so the short story format sort of came out of me wanting to keep that original kind of shorter burst of a story for Fred, both because I felt it worked really good for him. And also, and this was really important to me when I was doing a comedic books, is it allows me to play for much lower stakes in story to story. What do you mean by that? Um, so in, in one of the books, you'll know this, but I'll keep it vague for listeners who haven't read it yet. Um, there's, uh, an adventure in which it turns out there was no actual danger and, uh, someone had just gotten really messed up on drugs and like accidentally left this look trail that looked like they were in danger, but they weren't. And that was a funny payoff in a, in a fifth of a book. And if I had written an entire novel and that was the payoff, it wouldn't have come across nearly so cute or funny. People would have been pissed. Uh, and that's what i mean by lower stakes and that's really important for fred is fred has to play for low stakes and he has to sometimes have the adventure end in oh uh, it was nothing it was just you were never in danger it was stupid because you know that's sort of the level of where fred's at but he's a cool he's not a cool character but he's a really interesting character in that you know he's he's not overawed by the fact that as a vampire, he has superpowers. He's super strong. He, he's got uh, enhanced senses. Uh, none of that means anything. What 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 he cares about are the same things for the most part, with a couple of minor exceptions, that he cared about before he got turned. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's part of what I love about writing Fred is that Fred is unchanging in that compromise if you know read the original all he really wanted was people to spend his life with and once he kind of starts getting it he's willing to defend it as best he is able and that that's the nice thing too about the story's progression i i don't know if uh in your mind you you made sure that this was a progressive series of stories and a progressive series of books but it felt to me in reading the series that each story made perfect sense following the next, that there was no real change in the continuity. There was no real change in the characters jump change from one story to the next. It was just gradual 
uh, maturing of the characters and relationships and situations. Uh, which, by the way, I commend you for because that is so rare, especially in short story compilations like that. Oh, thank you. I'm just a believer that change has to happen on the page or it doesn't really make sense. At least the way so, I read. Well, hey, it makes it easier for the... If somebody cares about what they're reading, it makes it easier when the continuity is actually there. And you're not having to fill it in yourself. I'm glad we have kept that up for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's no small effort. A uh, commendation to my editors, because I, I would absolutely let things get through, if not for the wonderful people who have my back. So... You started writing in college, I'm guessing, when you graduated from Texas Tech with your BA in English, uh, <laughs> as you put in your biography, uh, because you're not familiar with the term employable means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Actually, fun story, I didn't really write at all in college, uh, or certainly not for fun. I, I well, Nobody writes for fun in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I took English... Um, secondary to a journalism because I started in journalism and I, I just loathed every class I had to go into. And I was like, all right, I'll go English. That's tangentially associated enough that my credits will transfer. Um, and then I just sort of banked on charisma or guessing my way through adulthood. It was not a good plan in retrospect. <laughs> um, but Yet it seems to have worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the plan wasn't strong, but uh, actually, this wasn't even part of it. So I did English just to get through and finish my degree. Um, I mostly wrote like essays for teachers because a degree in English is a degree in telling a professor what they want to hear, which honestly is a useful job skill, to be frank. It, it can be very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so then when I was at the very end of college, I had to take one of those uh, like credit requirement classes where it's not anything and you know it and the professor knows it but you still have to be there and because there were no stakes our professor just said screw it right five pages on whatever on this on the theme of change and uh you know having that that fun workshop environment where like no one cared and you could really just go nuts and have fun um that sort of reminded me that i actually had enjoyed writing when i was younger and so uh, when I got into the workforce, I ended up spending a lot of time reading web serials, especially on my employer's dime. And uh, whenever you just, can do that, it's a win-win, isn't it? It's right. a win for you, and it's a win for you. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the more I read, the more I sort of just got that itch in the back of my brain of I could try this. I should try this. And uh, I launched my first web serial, and it went okay. And then I launched Superpowers, the web serial, and pretty much been going ever since. When you write, one, one of the things that I love to talk about, uh, talk to authors about, is how they write. Some authors are very structured in, I get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, I have my coffee, I sit in front of the window that looks out over the meadow and stare down at my word processor, and I have to write 5,000 words. Others, not quite so structured. So how do you write? Uh, you almost got my first, the first one was almost exactly me. Um, <laughs> I have, uh, I get up in the morning, um, I do my coffee, I let my dog out, and then I go up and I have a word count quota. Um, I don't do 5,000 a day, 
Oh, whoever told you that is very ambitious and good for that. They were lying, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, I do 3,000 words a day, sometimes four if it's a really ambitious book and I'm behind on a deadline. Um, but I, as I've did that for several years and I've sort of weaned it down to three a day just because now I've got more stuff to do in the afternoons. But so I knock out 3,000 words every weekday and then the afternoons are for editing, marketing, research, all that jazz. The occasional Judge Judy, but we won't talk about that. Yeah, you got to take a lunch break here and there. <laughs> but I take no breaks until my writing's done. Like, until my writing is done, I can't really start my day or do anything else. Because I just, I have to make myself beholden to that quota um, if I want to keep up my my output. And it, it seems to me, looking at your website and, and all the different projects you have going on right now, that you've got a fairly prolific output at this point i am aggressive on my output uh because i'm indie and i don't want to be forgotten <laughs> go six months without a release wow drew who exactly yeah i knew a guy named drew once he wrote a couple of books it was really good i wonder what happened so how did you get into speculative fiction science fiction fantasy urban fantasy what what brought you into that genre into this I'm, genre i'm across i'm i'm in a bunch of genres at the moment um i think it generally boils down to i stayed and tend to stick to comedic fantasy um they're always at least a little funny and they're always somewhat rooted in i guess fantasy i, I don't think i've ever done that strict one that's strictly the real world um, but I guess I sort of just wrote the genres that I loved and the stories that I wanted to find, but I couldn't find, um, superpowers grew out of me wanting to find a story. Now, 2008 is when I was starting this. So way different landscape in terms of superhero options. Right. Uh, right. Absolutely. So 2008, I was just, I couldn't find a story like about superheroes that gave equal weight to superpowers and the people who wielded them. I felt like it was either one or the other, and I didn't like that. I, I really wanted something that did a good effort to, uh, to, you know, give spotlight to both aspects. And that was what I tried to do with superpowers. Whether it was successful or not, that's up to an individual reader interpretation. But, you know, that was the goal. Um, Fred, we already discussed, I came out of just getting tired of the same thread in urban fantasy over and over. Um, NPCs, I've just been playing D&D since I was 15, and I couldn't help thinking boy, I wonder what it would be like if the NPCs had agency. And that was sort of where <laughs> that series came out of. Uh, Forging Hephaestus was done because I, I do really love superheroes, and I wanted to tell stories. One, I wanted to do villains, which was always an interesting concept. Um, that's why there's the villain's code. And two, I really wanted to play around in a classic comic book world, like S Silver Age, over-the-top, bombastic stuff, bombastic powers, like magic, aliens, everything's on the table. And the more ridiculous, the better. And that was sort of why Forging Hephaestus is in a different world than superpowers, even though they're both superhero genres. Um, so that's, I think that's all my main series. The standalones were just, I guess, the same thing, but on an individual basis. You have, you have a lot of uh, content on your website. Well, my website You're... was my primary driver for a long time because Superpowered's posted on there um, two to three chapters a week, every week, 
for I think I want to say somewhere around 2009, 2010 until January 1st of 2018. Just, I mean, you know, I, I'm just sitting here and I'm going through it and uh, looking at all the different stuff and I'm going, damn it, there's a lot of stuff here I don't know enough about. <laughs> well, if you've got any uh, questions, now's a really good time to ask. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you got the right person here to ask. Um, <laughs> Talk for just a little bit about uh, uh, Superpowered's Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's that working out for you? Does does I? There's a lot of back and forth that goes on about how Patreon works for individuals. Some people find it really, really wonderful and and a great way to uh, have a closer relationship with with your uh, readers and consumers. Other people, after about two or three months go, Oh God, why did I do this? How's it working for you? For me, it's, it's fine coming from web serials. I'm so used to dealing with a constant pipeline of output that the idea of doing two things a month is nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm used to doing multiple posts a week. So, um, keeping up with it's easy. Uh, the community is nice. Again, I've had a high amount of community engagement for most of my career. So if anything, this is a step back in terms of that. Um, the income stream is, of course, nice. I greatly appreciate people who are pitching in. Um, it's not something I consider to be essential. It was something I launched mostly out of fan request and because it was a fun way to give a nice like backstage behind the scenes view on certain things. So I'll do Q&As and I'll do um, sneak peeks of books that haven't been released yet uh, on there. And in fact, on Christmas, they just got a first look at uh, Villains Code 2, which I haven't even really started writing yet, but I did knock out the prologue for a while back. So nice. overall, yeah. good, I suppose. I'm I'm happy with it. My Patreon seem happy with it, and that's all you can really ask for. So you have the output to the book. You have the output to Patreon. You have the output to whatever uh, web series and web blogs are going on. And then you have audiobooks. And, and a podcast. And, oh, sorry. We, we'll get to that. We will get oh, to I that know. for sure. <laughs> I just like to pile it all on. <laughs> oh, okay. So when you uh, when you're contracted through uh, whoever it is you do that with to do the audiobooks, how much input do you get into that? So uh, how it works with uh, Tantor Media, who does basically all of my audiobooks with the exception of Secondhand Curses. Um, which was done with Audible directly. Uh, Tantor will usually reach out to me if there's a book, although this time we've been working together for a while, so I'll submit to them directly. Um, And uh, generally, I get to choose my narrator and approve my cover, and that's all I've really asked for, because every time... You do get to choose the narrator. I get to choose the narrator. I Basically, they'll send me between one and three options on the first go, um, if none of them fit, I can kick it back and we can go again. But I'll tell you this, I've never had to kick it back. And not a, oh, this'll do one. I mean, every time I've listened to one of the people they've sent me, uh, it's always been, oh, that's the one. That's a thousand percent the one. Nice. Um, and I'm I'm so happy with my narrators and the people that Tantor has put me with me to work together. And I'm... Yeah, I'm real, real happy about that. So that's sort of why I don't worry so much is they do such a great job. It's it's very hands off and very easy uh, to work with them. That that does make the creation process easier when you've got a partner who understands you to the point where 
there's agreement that just naturally happens. Oh, absolutely. Having, having good people is half the battle of any job. What's happening with you right now? What are you doing right this minute? Uh, so I've spent today uh, editing over the rough draft of Fred number five. No um, way. Yes. I wrapped ah. that uh, two weeks ago. Right. I wrapped that actually the day before Superpowered Year 4 came out. <laughs> so I do Fred's every year, and this is kind of my, my Fred time. Um, by the end of the week, I hope to have the rough edit of that done and uh, maybe uh, either shot over to an editor or to the publisher to discuss. Um, and then next week, I start on the fourth Spells, Swords, and Stealth book. And then after that, maybe Infinity Villas, depending on time. And then I go into the next Villains Code book. I actually like map out my whole year's plan in advance and put it on my website, um, specifically so like readers can follow along. Because I know the frustration of saying, God, what is this author doing? So at least they can always see, even if I'm not working on their favorite series, I'm working on something. When you when you go out for personal appearances to conventions and, and stuff like that, uh, I can imagine that there's a a closeness of your fans to you who want to talk about characters and books and series. Uh, how, how is it for you at conventions? Oh, I love doing conventions. I just a few days ago got back from Emerald city comic con. And, um, I like, you know, I love going to go and meet readers. So we didn't actually manage to get a table for that. Some of our options fell through. So my friend uh, Joseph Brassi and I, what we did was we just held individual meetups every day um, and threw it out on social media. So that for like an hour, hour and a half, people who would come out to see us could come, talk, take pictures, sign books, shoot the shit, have a beer, you know, however they wanted to interact. Um, because that's that's what we're there for is to meet with the fans. Nice. That's wonderful. I, part of why I do what I do is out of a fanboyish, and at my age to be called a fanboy is, I don't know, kind of weird. But in, in any case, you know, there, there are people within the community I've always wanted to meet, I've always wanted to talk to, I've always wanted to pick their brains. And frankly, you've been one of them for a while. Uh, only because it's so much fun to read what you write. Well, thank you. That is exactly the reaction I want readers to have. Oh, okay, I, uh, good. And I meet the criteria. Excellent. No. I've often said, like, I'm not necessarily trying to, like, change the world with a book. But if I, if I know a reader has sat there reading a part and whispered, this is awesome, I feel like I did my job. <laughs> so let's talk for a minute, if we could, about Authors and Dragons. Sure thing. Uh, by your own admission, Authors and Dragons is a podcast where a party of fantasy authors try and make it through a game of Pathfinder without dying. That is their long-term goal. And boy, they so, are we are working hard to not accomplish it every game. They're just <laughs> they're giving their all, man. So who who are the the rest of the people who are uh, involved in the podcast there? Uh, so Robert Bevan of the uh, Critical Failure series, Rick Gualteri of uh, Bill the Vampire, John Hartness of Black Knight Chronicles, uh, Steve Weatherall of the oh goodness, 
the Doomsayer Journeys. That was the name of his old one. And also he just released the Totally Legend of Brandon Thymaster. Uh, <laughs> I'll explain that one in a second. Please. Uh, and uh, Joseph Brassi, who writes uh, Skyfarer. Uh, oh, man. I got uh, got to make sure I didn't miss anybody because I got off on the Brandon Thymaster yeah. thing. Bevan, Gulteri, Hartness, uh, Weatherill, Brassi, me. Okay, that's everybody. Yep. So um, Brandon Thymaster is the name of Steve's character. He is a very attractive monk uh, with a vow of celibacy. In fact, the first words he ever spoke on the podcast were, don't touch my abs. And... Uh, really laid it down since then. We started doing some origin characters for some, or uh, sorry, origin stories for some of the characters. Um, Cause folks have really liked them. And uh, Steve went first and that was a mistake. We should not have let Steve go first because Steve is the funniest bastard on the podcast by a long margin. And uh, now he's set the bar way too high. Nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the general concept. It's them playing uh to give you an example, in episode two, we had a character trying to swim to the bottom of a well, uh, effectively drowning himself because he was convinced there was something down there. But he wasn't doing it effectively enough because his swim sucked. So he got out of the well, got a rock, and proceeded to try and drown himself more efficiently. And that's why we say the odds are not in their favor. And you have, at this point... Oh, Lord, and I was just reading a bunch of them. 62 episodes 62 and a few interludes in there too we do bi-weekly um every other week because uh, it's just too much for us to do weekly in terms of putting together a game and editing and all that stuff oh god you guys edit yeah, well, one, yeah someday i have to get to that point here we actually well, launched I... a patreon to get a professional editor because i was not doing as good of a job <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the the day we gave up uh, even thinking about an editor was uh, the night we had Harlan Ellison on. And, uh, yeah, from that point forward, we've just kind of given it up completely. <laughs> I, I don't blame you for uh, a podcast like this one. With ours, basically what we edit is we just cut out all the minutia of, wait, how does grapple work? Or, wait, where's my <laughs> where's that on my character sheet? Or, oh, God, wait, how do uh, what's my damage? All the normal stuff you hear in a gaming session, we chop right, right away because it's super boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it's a damn shame you're not uh, more prolific than you are. Uh, I don't I, think I, I could put out more books at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there was any advice that you could give to uh, to our listening public out there about what it is you do and how it is you do it. You know, let's pretend for a minute we're on Ellen right now and neither of us is Ellen, but whatever. Uh, I'm just, you know, what, what talk, talk to our listeners for a little bit about, you know, what it is you do. Uh, so as if they wanted to get into writing full time or. Sure. All right, we'll go with that. So basically, uh, I'm an, what's called an independent author, um, but I also, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm a hybrid because I do independent publishing, which is also known as self-publishing, um, where I post directly to Amazon and get a higher royalty rate, but no publisher safety nets that would normally be there. Um, I also go through traditional publishing for one of my series, the Fred series, in fact. Uh, I do that through Roots Publishing. And the reason for sort of splitting the difference is that 
When you go with a traditional publisher, you're betting on a higher volume in exchange for a lower royalty rate. And uh, in exchange, and when you go traditional or uh, when you go indie, you're betting that you can move enough on your own to make it cost effective, um, especially with the increased royalty chunk. And that matters because especially when you're, you know, indie and new and starting out, living by those margins is really important. Um, there's a lot of people trying to make enough to to do this full time and, you know, being aware of your business and how to best um, kind of slot your projects is really important. Um, if you want to be a writer, remember that there are a lot of paths to it. You don't have to go agent, big five, and then just play that game for years and years and hope that you'll get something through. You can you can build your rep as an indie. You can build your rep with small press. And you can also go straight big five if that's what you want. It's it's a wide branching world. And don't let anybody tell you that there's a specific way it has to be conquered just because it's the way it has been in the past. You know, it, it's important, uh, you know, when I, I talk to... Uh, guys who want to do comics and, and want to be writers, you know, it's important to have the story. It's important to have an idea of where you want to go, what you want to do. You're spread out over a wide genre of things, but the one thing that, you know, you can feel that comes through is you're passionate for the characters and you seem to really, really like the characters that comes across uh, that make for me makes the Fred books so much fun, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you tonight, and a real pleasure having you on the show. And it's really great to meet you, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Our guest tonight has been the prolific author Drew Hayes. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Kriana. You can bring the music in any time. There we go. The official podcast of Granite Con, King Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, Booksandbooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Please be sure to visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. More news about My Peculiar Family 2, The Hunt for Curly's Gold, coming up shortly. Our intro music production was provided by Rob Watts. More of his amazing stuff can be found at robwattsonline.com. And our outro music, the stuff you're listening to right now, provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their stuff is available on lawrencemademecry.com because it would be silly for it to be anywhere else. Many thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel. Thank you, Karana. Thanks for paying attention and, and turning on mics and stuff. And this is Dome Say, Terry Genie. Shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Enjoy the chaos, everyone. I know.